Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Episode 49 of Not Another Loose Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. A reminder that this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. It's playoff time in the NHL and NBA, which means big stakes and bigger promotions. Every day of basketball's playoffs, DraftKings will have $20,000 in total prizes up for grabs. The best part is it's free to get your shot at these daily cash prizes. DraftKings will be offering two free play-to-pools every day of the NBA playoffs, offering players free shot at $20,000 in total prizes. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. It's this simple. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at $20,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to the DraftKings pools page to get your free shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN. Only for a limited time at DraftKings Sportsbook. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Uh, B. McCarthy, a.k.a. Brendan McCarthy, a healthy scratch for the weekend. So I'm happy to be joined by friend of the show, uh, Ross Levitan, the producer for the Maple Leafs on TSN 1050 and the host of the Locked On Senators podcast. Ross, how you doing, buddy? Happy May 2-4. What happened to BMAC? Big win last night. He's in the sauce or what? <laughs> he was going up to the cottage this weekend. And I was like, well, we should be looking to record on the Sunday after game one and two, which is when we're recording this on Sunday, May 23rd. And he was basically just, I said, I got to shut it down. First cottage right. weekend of the summer. He doesn't like having any obligations. And I respect that. The kid, the guy works hard uh, between a couple of jobs at TSN and the newsroom a lot of late nights. So 
he deserves a little time off with his family. And I'm sure that uh, he and Todd were enjoying kicking back and watching a massive Maple Leafs win in game two of the series to tie that one up at 1-1. Yeah, it was a huge game for the Leafs bounce back. And when you're going in without your captain, that's kind of the easy team of destiny vibe that you can create around yourself that you're banding together for the captain. And Jason Spatz has said it best after the game. The only way that they have a chance to get John Tavares back in this lineup is if they win games without him. So they had that mindset into last night. Uh, I don't like talking about the officials at any time. Of course, you look at the power plays at the end of the night, 5-1 being the case there. But I knew things were going to get weird once Kotkaniemi opened the scoring. He points up to the scratches, whatever that was, gives the number four, and now it's the most memed picture of the, of the day. I, I guess he's got like an inside joke with the healthy scratches that he was a part of in game one coming in for uh, Jake Evans. But you, once you saw that move, I don't know if it was cockiness or what it was from Kotkaniemi, but uh, the tides turned quickly after that. And I mean, yeah, the score was reflective of it. And at the end of the game, those two power play goals really pushed them up. But this was a, a pretty tilted ice surface the entirety of the game. Well, first off, big shout out to the Maple Leafs captain, John Tavares, wishing him a speedy recovery. Obviously a very scary situation in game one. You never like to see a player go down like that. I haven't seen the look of like that. Like it was reminiscent for me of Sammy Kapanen back in the day when he absolutely got drilled on the boards by Darcy Tucker and had no idea where he was going, trying to get back to the bench. It was a scary situation for the Maple Leafs captain. So very happy to hear the news that he's back at home with his family, uh, wishing him a speedy recovery. And like you said, basically now this means for the Leafs, the only way that they're going to be able to get their captain back is likely if they can make it to the conference finals, whatever you want to call that, the final four this year. I know there really isn't any defined conferences. This was a big pushback game. The Maple Leafs came out with a lot of juice. You would expect that after what happened to their captain in game one, that they'd be coming out with a little bit of extra gas in the tank. <laughs> I don't know what the hell Kakaniemi was doing, signaling up to the rafters after the first goal to open the game. But certainly Toronto flipped the switch after that. They were a dominant team in game two. I thought that they came out flying, uh, controlled the majority of the scoring chances. Obviously, nice to see the power play get a pair. This is something that's been an area of concern for this team for the last 25, 30 games of the season. They just weren't able to get it cooking. Uh, also, big shout out to Rasmus Sandin, who's able to get his first playoff goal and at a very opportune time on the nice point shot from the Toronto Maple Leafs. This is something that's been missing on this power play uh, and well documented that Morgan Riley oftentimes won't shoot the puck from there. Sandin obviously doesn't have the same uh, aversion and fired one right past Perry Price on a really important goal in the game. Yeah, not only the, the shot from the point, which you need on any power play to be successful, get bodies to the net, get the puck back to the point, move it around a little bit, change up the angle. Like It's not a complicated game, which makes it even more mind-blowing that the Leafs weren't able to get rolling on the power play. I think, what, it was seven goals in the last 30 games on so the power bizarre. play? It's unreal. But when you look at the talent that's on this team, you figure they'd come through. But when you look at it, what's Austin Matthews' best strength? His wrist shot, his snapshot, whatever you want to call it. Mitch Martin, not really a threat to shoot it. He's more of a setup guy. Zach Hyman, he's your, he's your net front guy, which you need on a power play. But Morgan Riley, and same with Nylander. He's like a wrist shot first guy or a pass first guy. You need a big slap shot on a power play, and it's that simple. Now, Morgan Riley, for some reason, doesn't like using his slap shot. It, it seems like he's very timid at that. So if Sandine's going to come in and just blast rockets, then I think he's going to find his way on this power play and, and be here to stay. Like 
they already were struggling. I think Muzzin even got some power play time earlier this season. So they're begging for a defenseman to step up here. And if you can replace some of those first unit minutes with uh, Sandine instead of Morgan Riley, I think you're just opening it up to Riley being more effective at five on five because it's one less thing on his plate to worry about. And I think by all accounts, he hasn't had his best season, uh, especially coming off last year where I think that there was that Norris trophy push for him. And maybe he was close to being top five in, in the nominees and getting there, but maybe he's taken a bit of a step back, but this Sandine kid, he's the real deal. Like he is a hell of a hockey player for his stature. He's not scared to get hit either. Eh? He'll, he'll lay the body into guys. And I think I, I love what he brings all around and uh, to have him with the Zach Bogosian who say what you want about him. I, I feel like he was an easy target for Leaf fans this year, but he's a playoff type guy. He's a box you out in front of his own net. You touch the goalie. You're going to pay for it type guy. I think that's a perfect pair for this Leafs team uh, to have success. So to get back to your original point, yeah, Sandine, a huge part of that power play. Uh, on the assist there, Austin Matthews pulled in ahead of Connor Brown for the most points on the Leafs power play since February. So you look at that just kind of shows how much they've been struggling. Two shorties for Connor Brown there. And if they can keep that rolling, two for six last game, if they win the special teams battle, this series is all but over. I don't think it should extend past five games. Again, Kerry Price might have something else to say about that, though, Kenny. He looked really good in game one. Uh, came down to earth a little bit more here in game two. That blocker save on the two-on-one, like that is one of the hardest saves to make as a goalie. He's been outstanding. Like There was a multiple opportunities in the first game, albeit there was a lot of pipes hit from Toronto, which goalie's best friend uh, just rings out. Matthews, I think, hit the post. Nylander hit the post. In game two, Toronto was just pouring it on from all over the place. And at times, it seemed like the Montreal defense had no answer for the momentum that Toronto was swinging on the forecheck in the offensive zone. And when you get the cycle cooking, it's going to be difficult to stop those top players for Toronto. Uh, Riley, I think I agree with you on the points that Sandine should be sniffing out some more power play time because Riley really had sort of a down year as far as defensively. He's, he's been berated a lot by the Maple Leafs fan base as Toronto fans can do chase a, uh, good defenseman out of the town, no problem picking their scapegoat. For whatever reason, that's been Riley. And I know he leaves some stuff to be desired defensively, but offensively, he's one of the best in the game. For whatever reason, that hasn't translated on the power play this year. I'm all for giving Rasmus Sandin a little bit of time, get his confidence up. Obviously, it highlights a lot of the areas where his game flourishes. He's great at one-on-one. He's great at handling the puck. He seems to make the right decision. And you put him out there, if he can fire with the puck with confidence, that's something that this power play has been missing. Uh, I want to touch on the Corey Perry fight in game one. Oh, there, this was a buzz point. Montreal Twitter obviously wasn't happy about the fact that Perry had, the, had to answer the bell. It did, was obviously wasn't an intentional situation for Perry. It's just kind of a bang-bang play, and they didn't have replays, obviously, playing in the arena. So he has to answer the bell with Felino. I personally didn't have a problem with the fight because Felino and Perry are both big boys. Perry could have easily said, no, I'm not doing this. And he accepted the invitation. Obviously, he got fed a little bit in that one. And that's why they brought Nick Foligno in. Uh, this is something that BMAC highlighted he- heading into the series, that he wanted to see more pushback from Nick Foligno, as this is the reason that you brought him in, really, to stand up for this group and sort of showcase that sort of toughness that they haven't had in the past. What were your thoughts on the fight? I don't know. I don't know. I'm a bit on the fence about it. I I know it's playoff hockey. These things are going to happen. In general, I'm a 
proponent for for a good scrap as long as it's not staged and i felt like it was just a weird time for it. like yeah if you want to make him answer the bell a little bit later in the game sure even though like what's he supposed to do the alternative was he doesn't get out of the way and he probably skates right over Tavares's throat like he was yeah. trying to jump out of the way um yeah it's an unfortunate play and and of course perry has a long history of doing some greasy things in the past so maybe that's what nick felino's thinking but you, you, what you don't understand or I don't think fans would understand that are for it right away is like that that takes a lot out of you mentally when you're the guy who hurts somebody like that and especially like Corey Perry and John Tavares have been teammates I, I'm assuming on numerous occasions at the uh, Hockey Canada level you know they have a relationship you can think back definitely at the World Cup of Hockey they were the 2014 Olympics although Tavares got hurt early there so they they know each other you, you knock him out. Like, that was scary when he was trying to get up and, and ultimately like, just fell on his back. His knees are still bent the other way. Like, I think that that's why he didn't really fight back to Felino. He's kind of in shock himself. Like, what just happened? I think the real mistake here is Dominic Ducharme putting him back out on the ice for the next shift. If I'm the coach, you defuse the situation. You take Perry off the ice. Maybe sh- uh, sit him for a one extra shift and then try to get him back into the game. But I think it was pretty unfair of the coach to put Perry right back out there for the next faceoff after that hit. If anything, I think Sherratt's probably got to, to blame and he's been chippy all year. I getting to watch him a lot. And I don't think it's dirty. I think that he, he did get mostly body, but their knees did hit and that without that, he's not spinning around and, and in such a vulnerable position where Perry gets a, a knee on him. So the fight in itself in a vacuum, sure. I mean, it's it's two veterans, like you said, that, that would be happy to say no. But I think but at the same time, because they're a veteran and because Perry uh, probably not only has respect for, for the, the code or the game, whatever you want to call it, but for John Tavares, and I'd imagine Nick Foligno too, that he's going to answer the bell there. Uh, although I don't think the bell needed to, to happen. So, hey, it's playoffs. Crazier things have happened, but... Uh, like both guys said, that once the scrap was over, you move on and uh, play some hockey. I think that this was just a let's just bury this right now and take care of this. We don't want it really to linger on. I agree with you on your point about the coach. This is also one thing that I don't like about the game and the way that it's gone over the last several seasons. It seems like even at points of the game when a guy will catch a player on the opposing team with a good, clean check where it's, there's no malice and it's just kind of you get caught with your head down or you get caught shoulder to shoulder and center ice and you can just get absolutely laid out, all of a sudden, you know, they have to answer the bell for that. And there's another guy running over, dro- dropping the gloves, trying to fight. I don't think that's necessary all the time. I understand why it happens this time, and I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. Like you said, it's a, it's a part of the game. Uh, I'm not necessarily directly opposed to fighting. I do think that... We have to be careful about where the game is going because a player shouldn't have to be fighting every time something happens, uh, you know, whether there's an injury or whether it's a big hit just to defend the honor. So that's my two cents on that. Uh, yeah. Just th- to jump in, like uh, I saw that a lot in Ottawa the last couple of years with Mark Borowiecki. Like, he's a guy who's going to go out of his way to make a big hit, but he didn't want to fight. And it, it just, you could see how frustrated he was. He's like, man, I don't want to fight you. I just, like, I'm a hard hitter. That's why I'm in the NHL. But why do I have to fight every time? And he's not a good fighter, so he just get his ass kicked every time he fought. And it's like, I can't change the way I play. This is how I got to the NHL. But now he's he's thinking about long-term consequences of that. He missed a lot of time with a concussion. But it's just kind of the fine line there. But I agree with you. On a clean hit, 
He shouldn't have to answer the bell. This one I wouldn't call a clean hit, but I wouldn't even call it dirty. I wouldn't even call it a hit. It's just an unfortunate collision on the ice. Yeah, and it was more on Sherrod, like you said. He made the initial contact. Perry, I don't know what the hell anybody wants him to do. He was just trying to get out of the way, and it was just an unfortunate result. So, Yeah, I think there probably would have been less blowback, too, if fans were in the stands because people who were there would have been chiming in, appreciating how fast the game's moving. Like, Perry's trying to bust his back uh, on the back check. And next thing you know, there's a guy falling in his way. So he's trying to get out and move away as fast as he can. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate it had to start the series that way. Uh, not to keep going back to Ottawa, but I've seen series start maliciously in the past. Uh, Eric Riba and Lars Eller, where he left him in a puddle of blood uh, in 2013. And it just makes the, the first couple of games really weird. But I'd expect this to all be in the past in Game 3. If you're a Leaf fan, you, you can't say that fully because you're without your captain. But at the same time, like – there's a few games now. There's a new venue, so they're at a different arena. The building, the field, it's all going to be different. I think you're going to be in for a fast-paced couple of games here in Montreal. Ross, you were a former goaltender. We talked touched on Carey Price. He was outstanding, I thought, in Game 1. Uh, looked good in Game 2, but obviously the Leafs' offense was just too potent, scoring a couple on the power play. I thought on the other end, Jack Campbell has looked calm, composed, and really up to the task, which is exactly what you would expect after the regular season. You never know how the pressure is going to translate to a young goaltender. Obviously, his first career playoff start in Game 1. And ultimately, the pressure of the organization's you know, shortcomings over the past several seasons goes squarely onto the shoulders of the netminder. Because if he doesn't perform, you're not going to have a chance to win. I thought that Campbell gave them an opportunity to win Game 1. And after giving up the first goal in Game 2 was solid throughout. I've been so impressed by his play to this point in this series. Yeah, 50 saves on 53 shots for him, and let's go through all three goals. Uh, Josh Anderson splits the defense. He goes in on a breakaway, partial breakaway, and scores. Then Paul Byron, same thing, partial breakaway. And that one, maybe you think, hey, a more aggressive goalie would come out and try to like beat him to the puck there when Paul Byron's coming in, but Byron's got a ton of speed too. And so. shorthanded as well. Yeah, but at that point, maybe it inspires you to come out even more because all you have to do is chip it to an open place, and you know there's only three halves on the ice and five of your guys behind the play. So you think that they'd be the first to get there. And I always played super aggressively, so I would probably be the guy to come out and try to chip it away. And, hey, maybe what happens is what you see in – I forget what other series it was, but – oh, it was Bennington in Colorado. He he came out of bed and then just missed the puck, and it's an easy slide it in, and and it's it's in the back of the net. So – that, that one I'm not going to blame Jack Campbell for either. And then the only goal he lets in last night was uh, Kotkaniemi bang home uh, a rebound. And that's that's uh, those are the kind of goals that are going to happen in the playoffs. I think that the uh, goals kind of shrink in. That home plate that everyone talks about, it shrinks even tighter come playoff time. So, yeah, those odd goals will go in. I thought he made a, a ton of huge saves, especially when it was 1-1 in game one. Like, he kept them in it and tied for a long time before Byron ultimately scores that shorty. So uh, I'm not looking at Jack Campbell at all right now. There's no chance, zero chance that I'm making a change in goal. Jack Campbell's their guy. He's been their guy for the majority of the year. He's got the most wins on their team for them this year as well. And he's the guy who I think they ride or die with. And right now they're they're riding into Montreal with them, I'd imagine. Montreal was opportunistic in game one, I thought. Uh, they had some high danger chances, but it was really, you know, the breakaways where they converted to, you know, obviously extend the lead and ultimately get the win. Campbell has been outstanding for me. Like I've really liked his play. He looks confident and really just calm, composed under the pressure and the spotlight 
of this team's, like I said before, shortcomings in the playoffs over the past several seasons. So excited to see what he can bring in game three. Like you said, no chance that we're going to see a change in nets. There's no reason to make a change. And to be honest, I don't really have a whole lot of confidence in the backup netminder at the moment, Freddie Anderson. Sorry, you have a point on that? No, I was just going to point out the the save that set the tone in this entire series was uh, Josh Anderson right off the bat. It was an awesome like post-to-post play on a, on a rush out of the corner. And uh, from that moment forward, you knew that Jack Campbell was locked in and, and he's just been superb. Yeah. And then you look at the other side of it. There's like, I've never been the biggest Freddie Anderson guy. I think he's big. I think he covers a lot of net, but there are a lot of holes in his game. So for me, he's not an option right now. I, I would just ride with Jack Campbell. Even if, even if he had been on the other side, like if it, if he was in Carey Price's end and they lost five, one, the way that they did with a couple power plays, I'd still go back to him. So basically what I'm saying is if he has a bit of a stinker in game three, I still roll with him in game four. I don't think that the panic, we saw what a panic move did with Florida. They lose game one, they change their goalie, and now they're in a huge hole. And what do you do after? Then you have no more bullets left. Where They're going to go back to Jack Campbell if you pull him. I don't think you can flip-flop. I think that if, if Freddie Anderson gets in, then it's his crease the rest of the playoffs. You can't, you can't go back and forth and, and expect to win. Speaking of the Lightning and Panthers, let's move to around the league. The Lightning obviously up 3-1 in this series now, so they've got a stranglehold. I've been surprised by that. I thought that Florida had a really good opportunity entering this series to knock off the defending champs. A dirty play at the end of last night's game, though, where Nikita Kucherov gets slashed late and goes down with an injury. Uh, Head coach John Cooper was not pleased, suggesting that the officials were missing calls and that liberties are being taken on his players. I have to agree with him after watching the replays on that. It was just a dirty play at the end of the game, trying to take out a player who's been dominant in this series for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think this game, this game, this series has been chippy the whole way, and that's the way I like playoff hockey. Like you mentioned, the the scrap in the Leafs game, it just felt like like kind of off putting. It was just kind of like out of nothing, I guess, and and with the vibe in the arena. Whereas this series, they can't even get through a face off without pushing and shoving off it these two teams genuinely hate each other and you're seeing it time and time again now did the refs kind of let game four get out of hand yeah probably but at the same time these are just two teams that are fighting for every single inch so I don't think there's going to be any extra supplemental discipline on this Um, I'm sure we'll get into where there will be uh, elsewhere in the league a huge suspension levy down but for for this battle of Florida this is a hopefully kickstarting a rivalry for years to come because Oh my God, this has been for me the most exciting series. We've had goals, we've had lead changes, and we've had a ton of animosity. So uh, I've just been loving this. It's unfortunate that uh, the Panthers aren't seemingly going to make it a much longer series. But uh, either way, I've had a ton of fun watching it. But yeah, that hit in particular, a little on the greasier side, sure. But uh, I don't know if it matches what Sam Bennett did to earn a one-game suspension earlier in the series. Speaking of suspensions, uh, former Maple Leaf Nazem Kadri gets a, a hefty suspension. It was eight games, if uh, if memory serves me correctly, yeah. for his hit. Uh, Colorado leads the series 3-0. I believe when Kadri laid that hit, the abs were up 4-2 to in the game. I don't understand why this guy starts to see red in the postseason, but he continuously now hurts his team. 
because he's not able to contribute on the ice when he's obviously watching from the press box. This is the third time now in the postseason that he's been levied a suspension because of a questionable hit. Where do you stand on the Kadri suspension and where he puts his team, which is ultimately in a bad position as you're not losing out on your C2? Yeah, you, for most teams, I would say it's a huge loss. But with the Colorado Avalanche, these guys are just next man yeah, up. And, like if you're following uh, Team Canada World Juniors this year too, this Alex Newhook kid, he stepped in the lineup, already has his first NHL goal. Like they are, they went from rebuild to contender so fast, uh, like overnight. But they still have the pieces from the rebuild coming up. Like we haven't even seen much of Bo and Byram on, in this series. Like I mentioned, Alex, not Alex Kerfoot, but um alex newhook um the new kind of replacement for alex kerfoot in colorado when they moved him to toronto and i just see them as they're, they're gonna have no trouble getting by st louis now here's some real galaxy brain thing to process do they <laughs> throw wait. a game or two in this series because no that's where they're gonna miss Kadri is against the vegas golden knights that's gonna be the best series in this playoffs uh, i'm I'm going to be locked in for every one of these games. It should be the Western Conference Final. It's a shame they're in the same division, so we're going to get it in round two. But right now, like they're toying with the St. Louis Blues. Nathan McKinnon, the game of hockey is so easy for this guy. And if if he was playing in Canada, like everyone up here, you love talking McDavid or Matthews. Like McKinnon is as good, if not better, or in the middle of those three guys. Like I think McDavid's separate. He led the league by, what, 20 points this year in scoring. But McKinnon is a complete animal. I believe he has eight points in three games so far in this series, including a hat-trick in game two. He is on another planet. He skates with so much power, and he plays with such strength, but yet has such finesse too. Uh, man, th- this the President's Trophy winners, right? So if you're if you're getting back to the original point of missing Kadri, like, this team just has so much depth and so many guys that can step up. But if you're an awesome Kadri, now you had a reputation and now you're a complete liability. And this is a guy who I think has one year left on his contract after this one. He better have a good year next year. And by good, I mean not only on the scoreboard, but staying out of the, the disciplinary uh, hold because that's why he got eight games. Like It was a bad hit, but. It wouldn't have been eight games if he hadn't done it twice before, yeah. both in playoff series. Remember against the the Bruins last time? You have to which one? Um, the last <laughs> time they didn't even give him an amount of games. They're just like, yeah, you're done for this series, no matter how long it goes. Like that's when you know that uh, George Peros and the Department of Player Safety they just had enough of you. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the Vegas Golden Knights, this was a series that a lot of people had picked. Uh, Minnesota is potentially being able yeah. to upset the Knights based off their regular season against Vegas. They played very well against them. Their entire franchise history, I think. They had 11 wins in 15 games against Vegas in the last three years. So obviously they've had the number, but Vegas is a team that's built for the playoffs. They brought in all the big veteran additions. Um, Alex Petrangelo, they have two solid netminders. They win game four, four, nothing. And they now have a stranglehold on the series three to one. It's basically a foregone conclusion. Like you said, that Colorado and Vegas will be meeting each other now in round two. Oh man. And Vegas is my cup pick. I'll put that out there right off the bat. And after I wax poetically about the avalanche, I better do the same. Like think about it. This is a team that came into the league three years ago and they they've acquired themselves three captains. Like, it's, it's unreal. Stone didn't wear the C in Ottawa, but he was he the de facto have. captain. Uh, yeah. Hell, he's the first captain in Vegas history. They bring in Max Pacioretty, who's been unreal, former captain in Montreal. And then they sign Alex Petrangelo, the Blues captain, who just came off a Stanley Cup win in 2019. The, these guys, they know how to build a team. 
All credit goes to George McPhee and uh, Kelly McCrimmon as well. Uh, that McCrimmon connection with the Brandon Wheat Kings, a big reason why Mark Stone wanted to sign there for the eight years that, that he ended up putting down for. They, they bring so much to their game. And not only that, they've got, I think, three guys with 20 or more hits so far this postseason. Ryan Reeves is, is the ultimate fourth-line guy in the playoffs. Had 10 hits in game one. And a big reason why people thought Minnesota could upset them is they've got that that really gritty checking line where it's uh, Marcus Foligno with Jordan Greenway. And uh, I'm blanking on the centerman's name right now, but they've got uh, – anyways, it'll come to me afterwards. But they've got all, all three of their top lines all bring something different. Like Caprizov and Zuccarello have great, great chemistry right now when it comes to um, cycling in the offensive zone and getting offense. But – when you have a goalie with a 956 save percentage, like if you're the wild, like what more can you do? Like Marc Andre Fleury has been completely unbeatable through this series. He's really turned back the clock. It's his career. Like this guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer. There's no question about that. Third all time in wins in the NHL. And I say what you want, like 2016 and 17. Like what do you want to say? Like he got half a cup, maybe. I mean, he still won games in both playoffs, but Matt Murray really kind of brought them away. But that doesn't take away that he's a three-time champion, and uh, he got to the finals again in 2018. I think that he's primed to make a big run. And then if he does slip, they got Robin Leonard just sitting on the bench. Like They are so spoiled with so much talent. Um, they also have guys stepping up, too, who you wouldn't expect, guys um, who are contributing. Like um, that, that line still, and, and they were so good in their first year, was – Carlson, Riley Smith, and and Jonathan Marsh. So, like, they are such a deep team. And man, who do you have in that Avalanche uh, Vegas series? Funny, we're already we're already uh, taking taking off <laughs> a series. That no offense to the St. Louis Blues or Minnesota Wild here, but uh, who yeah. do you got in Colorado next round? No, it's a, it's a t- it's a tough one, and I do think that missing Kadri in that series is really going to hurt you. I've been so impressed with the evolution of Mark Stone's game over the past several seasons. We've always noted him for his defensive prowess, one of the best defensive forwards in the league. Should certainly be in the Selkie conversation. It's not often that you would see a winger in that conversation. It's generally a role uh, revered for a centerman who's able to put up about 60, 70 points, but also be tight checking on the opposite end. This guy has been outstanding this year. 61 points in 55 games, including 21 goals, uh, 46 points in 58 career playoff games. He's been an absolute horse for the Vegas Golden Knights this season and a big reason why they've had the success that they have. I got to roll with Vegas, I think, in this series. They just seem like they've got the pedigree. It's their time to shine. Uh, Nothing against Colorado. I mean, I could easily see it going either way. I certainly think that this series will go seven. But when I look at the depth that the Vegas Golden Knights have, it's just so difficult to overcome when you're rolling out, like you said, all these experienced players, whether it's Pacioretty, whether it's Bill Carlson, whether it's Mark Stone, uh, the back end anchored by Alex Petrangelo. And the luxury of having both those netminders, if one guy has an off night, you just flip the switch and put the other guy in and have complete confidence. A big reason why they had a ton of success down the stretch. So if you uh, made me choose, I would say I'd like Vegas in Game 7, especially I think that's a series where the Avs are going to miss Kadri, and they are going to miss his offensive production. And as your point pointed out before, and this will be a series where the, they're certainly going to miss Nazem Kadri in that lineup to give them more depth scoring against the Vegas Golden Knights. Let's move on to the Bruins and Capitals. This series has surprised me a little bit because I thought that Washington was going to give a little bit more pushback. Obviously, the addition of Taylor Hall has fit like a glove 
in Boston on that second line with David Krejci. His career seems to be rejuvenated playing now with the top line winger. And you're actually kind of wondering what the Bruins were doing all these years, not finding him some top tier talents to play alongside his wing. Cause all of a sudden he looks like a dominant presence on that second line. Yeah. David Krejci, I've always been a big fan of his and uh, he had Yermer Yager. They brought in for him. I remember uh, a few years back, but yeah, he's always been in this weird spot where it, it maybe makes sense to have the top line split up, but they're so good together that you have to keep it like the natural kind of um, small minded thing that I would go with is, Oh, but Krejci and Pasternak are both checks. Of course they should play together. But you look at what Pasternak does with Marchand and with Bergeron, you can't break that up. So to bring in Taylor Hall, I think there's no question. He resigns there too. This seems like a perfect fit. And it's going to be, when we see that contract extension, everyone across the hockey world is going to say, wow, he's going to sign a, on a team-friendly deal. I can just see it already. He wants to be the winner. He's struggled finding that his whole life. The only thing he's ever won is the draft lottery, like 80 times when he's on the team, twice in New Jersey. and, and, uh, twice, and three twice, times. three times in Edmonton if yeah. you include his draft. Yeah, well, exactly right. Yeah, and then the next year with Nugent Hopkins, and then McDavid. again with McDavid. It's it's wild to think. And then with Heashier and Jack Hughes in um, in New Jersey. So Taylor Hall finally found himself on a winning team in a winning organization. And this isn't to take away from Washington. I think they're a hell of a team too. Um, but man, the Bruins just bring a different aspect. It's if it's the, the going to be them, they, they flick the switch, man. Oh yeah. The, Whoever they play in the next round, I, I think it's going to be a tough matchup, whether it's Pittsburgh or the Islanders. I think the the Islanders might give them a bit of a tougher matchup, but I don't know they get out of Pittsburgh. So uh, I'm really intrigued by this. These second rounds are all going to be a hell of a good time. Like first round, yeah, you've got those a couple blowouts here, like Colorado, it's not even close. But uh, now we're, we're getting to a, a tighter spot here. And what, two of the three games have been overtime, uh, Boston, Washington? Like, these guys are, are really giving each other or not giving each other an inch. So if uh, if Boston can come out of it, like I think they can, maybe it's a situation where Washington's worn them down a bit and we see that affect them going forward. But they certainly have. Not only did they get Taylor Hall, but like Curtis Lazar's fit into that fourth line. He's noticeable out there. He's finishing all his hits. That's where Boston is so elite. Everybody knows their role. They've got like they've got these middle six guys who they go out there with one goal, one objective in mind, and they each accomplish that as individuals, and it comes together as a team in a beautiful way. It's set up from the leadership on that group. And it starts with Patrice Bergeron, who plays the game the right way, and he sets the precedent for the rest of the team, and everybody falls into their role because of his commitment, not only on the offensive side, but you want to talk about Selkie winning centerman. Bergeron and that line of Marshawn and Pasternak are the best among the best in the league five on five in both metrics year in and year out. Um, One thought about Taylor Hall. He kind of reminds me a little bit of like Phil Kessel where he's a great complimentary player, but he doesn't necessarily want to be the primary player on the team. You saw Phil Kessel struggle in Toronto being the guy. And then he goes to Pittsburgh and wins a couple of cups because he, all he has to do is just sit behind Gino and Sid and put the puck in the back of the net. I feel like that's where Hall is now. He's in a comfortable role in Boston where he doesn't have to be the primary guy. He can just provide the secondary scoring, and anything that he provides is going to be a bonus, and he's just fit in like a glove there. 
Yeah, what's even crazier too about Kessel? He spent most of those time in Pittsburgh on the third line. He, his centerman was Nick Benino. <laughs> he's still producing. Like, yeah, just it was, going rolling out there on the power play and just burying goals. But there, that is a good comparison. And not only that, but when you're looking at playing with Nick Benino in Pittsburgh, one of the best defensively responsible centermen in the league. So you get that yin and yang of allowing Phil Kessel to kind of roam wild and knowing that. Benino's the kind of centerman who's always high up in the zone and ready if there's a turnover anywhere that he'll be the first guy back and uh, negate any sort of odd man rush. So similar with Krejci, a very responsible two-way guy. So Hall can kind of just just put on the afterburners. One of the fastest players in the league, no doubt. And he's one of those guys, and it's such an amazing strength. I think Kaprizov has it as well. When they get the puck, they gain speed. They don't have to slow down to control and see where they're going to go. They gain it, and it, it's just incredible to watch. You mentioned the Pittsburgh Islanders series. Mm-hmm. I believe Crosby now has been held off the score sheet in the last three games, so kudos to the Islanders for, be able, for being able to slow him down. He was one of the most impressive players in the league, garnering heart, heart trophy conversation down the stretch with what he was able to accomplish with Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh in a little bit of a tight spot now, losing game four, four to one that series is knotted up at two two this is exactly how the islanders want to play the game they want to slow it down they want to gum up the neutral zone we talk about barry trotz's systems as being really frustrating to play against and the isles continue to just be a huge pain in the ass for whoever they're going to play in the postseason yeah and i was saying this we do a locker room uh, session every sunday morning and i was telling pillar one of our good buddies from college of sports media that name a better combo NHL playoffs and NFL offensive linemen. I don't know if you caught the uh, New York Giants offensive line. We're all chugging beers at Nassau Coliseum uh, <laughs> during that game. And they were in for a complete treat of an offensive game from the Islanders too. You don't often see that, but they really exploded. And you were waiting for them too because they do have some talent. Like they went out and they, they went out and grabbed Kyle Palmieri and a few other guys like Pager can get on the offense too. And it, they they just do it by committee. Like they're doing it all. Re- let's remember, without their captain, Anders Lee's been out for the last two months, and he's there's no sign of him coming back. So they have the group that they have. Their decor is so responsible. This Adam Pellish guy. If you ever just want to watch a stay-at-home defenseman, not flashy at all, but man, is he efficient. Every it's like Jacob Slavin with the Carolina Hurricanes. I'm sure we'll touch on that series too. But they the let make the sort of play. Yeah, but it's it, it's unreal. You don't notice them until you like zone in on them, and you're like, wow, they are amazing hockey players. And I always appreciate those guys because they usually fly under the radar, but you can't win without them. We'll touch on the Carolina series. This one's one of the less endearing series for me. Uh, I figured that Carolina was going to wipe the floor. Nashville able to get one win. Duchesne's double OT goal. Oh, that was wild. He tapped the puck out of midair <laughs> around the defenseman. Goes in on a breakaway and and ices it. Yeah, uh, that was super impressive to me. But you're right, Carolina, them and Tampa, hopefully next round is going to be, again, another insane series. And that's been the big problem for the Preds, right? It's been the production of the center position. For whatever reason, the guys that they've signed haven't been able to produce. And it big starts money with Brian too. Johansson. Yeah, they signed Kyle Turris to a long extension. Yeah, and obviously they end up having to buy him out. He ends up getting shipped out to Edmonton. And same thing with Duchesne. It's like he's looked good at times. Obviously, an outstanding play on the OT winner. 
but also at times he's looked very lackluster and not like he's the kind of player that can fill a C1 role on a night-in, night-out basis and play with confidence. So they're going to need production, certainly out of their top two centermen, if they're going to have a chance to crawl back into this series. Edmonton is a little bit of an anomaly for me. I thought that they were going to cause a much bigger problem for Winnipeg based off the production that their two horses had against the Jets this year. Yet Winnipeg is up 2-0 in this series. It's sort of an anomaly. I figured that the that would be the other way around based off their series head-to-head and based off the ability or lack of ability thereof of Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler to slow down McDavid and Drysaddle. And look out, but Nikolai Ehlers back for game three. He's going to make his playoff Huge debut. Bump. Yeah, they both he and Dubois missed game one. Dubois came in the lineup. Paul Maurice just saying this morning, it came across the wire that um, Nikolai Ehlers wanted to play game two but he didn't want to bring them both in at the same time, which is fair as a veteran coach. He doesn't want to, what happens if one guy cramps up early in the game or gets uh, re-aggravated and then you're kind of in a tough spot. So now that both those guys are back, it's just going to be that much harder. But I mean, water always finds its level. There's no way that Connor McDavid is going to go this whole series without breaking out at least once, or let's get galaxy brain again. Is this karma <laughs> for wearing the worst jerseys in the NHL? What the hell is that? They have one of the best home jerseys in the league, and they're wearing their, their blue. I feel the same way about Pittsburgh wearing their yellows. Like, oh, their black jerseys are some of the best in the league. Look good, feel good, play good, Kenny, and that's where the Oilers are failing to realize again. No, and they're in a hole now, down to nothing, obviously in a very difficult position. Uh, we talk about teams getting a bump. Ehlers has been – one playing his best hockey of the he's season prior to getting year. injured. Yeah, he, he, was, he was outstanding. So him coming back to the lineup obviously makes that top six all the more dangerous. We talk about Kyle Connor a lot on this podcast and the player that he's grown into with his scoring touch around the net. And then obviously when you get Pierre-Luc Dubois back into the lineup on a consistent basis, we saw what he was able to do against the Maple Leafs last year and tight-checking Matthews and then also getting some key goals in the series uh, against the Blue Jackets. So it's going to be a, like Edmonton finds themselves in a little bit of a situation here. They're going to need solid net minding out of Mike Smith or Koskinen, whoever the hell they decide to start in game three to claw well, back Smith's into the series. Good. Mike Smith's been good. You know, fun fact about him too. And say what you want about save percentage. Cause when you look at it in terms of all time, like save percentage have, have climbed for everybody over, over time. But Mike Smith has the best save percentage of any goalie in NHL history in the playoffs. Really? Like, a lot of that is in who's, 2012. when who's number uh, two, Tuka Rask? Uh, Rask is up there. I'm going to pull up the list. I know Craig Anderson is fourth on this list at a 929 all-time playoff save percentage. Yeah, but Tuka Rask was um, up Tim there Thomas well, is number two. Tim Thomas is number two, which makes sense. Jonas Hiller, three. Then Craig Anderson at number four. And uh, Thomas Vokun at five. Uh, Tuka Rask at nine here. But still, they're all very solid all 925 or higher um and dominic hassett comes in at number 10 tied with john sabastain jaguer who had a few <laughs> unreal playoffs with the ducks yeah, yeah uh, you on, think back oh three and oh seven former maple leaf netminder oh john yeah there you go. <laughs> yeah leafs abroad speaking of former leafs netminders how about this the first old school name on this list johnny bauer with a 924 save percentage in 74 playoff games Everyone so else on this that, list. Was a, that was a different era, too, which makes it so impressive that Johnny Bauer was up there because that was at a time when yep. goalies weren't posting those sorts of numbers. 
Nope. The only other guy who's even close to that era, and even still, this is years back. You'd probably hate to hear that, that we're that we're putting him in that age category. But John <laughs> Davidson, who just uh, left his spot with the New York Rangers, back with Columbus, and he's all just the way down thirty thirty second. Yeah, well, that's one way to put it. <laughs> yeah, just was politely asked to leave. Yeah, well, hey, they left them set up in a very good spot, and uh, yeah, you can say they won two draft lotteries that maybe they weren't really. I guess not supposed to, it's a lottery, but where they had very long odds to get where they did, they get second overall Capo Caco, and then they win the Alexi Lafreniere lottery. Hey, they have a 0.8% chance at getting this year, and I just have a feeling that they're going to do it. It's just the Ranger way. But um, all in all, though, you mentioned uh, Mike Smith being the goalie there, 935 save percentage uh, in his playoff oh, career. That's pretty, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah it's like, a lot I just... of it was 2012 with the Coyotes. Remember, you took them yeah, to the yeah. conference finals, and they were like 2-1 there. What happens, though, is in playoffs, Kenny, we always talk, it's special teams, it's goaltending, and then veterans who just come through clutch. And who else but Paul Stassen, who just played his 1,000th NHL game, just a wrist shot, and he mentioned after the game, seems like the best guy, by the way, uh, when he's doing his post-game presser, but he just mentioned, he's like, that was the kind of shot where I'm just trying to create offensive zone time. But then he said everyone started celebrating, so it went in. But you need those veteran contributions, and the Leafs got that last night with Jason Spezza opening they the did. scoring as well. I was about to say, that's uh, that's your former boy, Jason Spezza. Big shout-out to him. He's been, he's been really key down the stretch, giving this team some depth scoring, some really good depth scoring, five-on-five. Five. Like, he's up there as far as points per 60. Oh, yeah. Like, when he, the, what's most impressive about Spezza's production is he's doing it with – you know, 10, 12 minutes of ice time on most nights and still finding a way to find the score sheet. Yeah, no question about that. It's uh, And you're, you're hoping that maybe Joe Thornton can pick it up uh, to be the same. I know that many fans thought he was responsible for both goals against in game one with a tough giveaway, especially on the power play uh, for the game-winning goal, Paul Byron's. And, and when you look at Paul Byron just in the side, the guy was on waivers three times this year. So uh, it just shows that when you're a veteran, no matter what happens throughout the season, the ups and downs, playoffs is an entire new season so um man stick taps to paul byron but also if the leafs can get joe thornton rolling then that's just another layer to them but if i'm the if i'm the edmonton oilers like who are the veterans that i'm leaning on i just feel like this team is built so poorly beyond their big stars like i feel like they don't really have a guy who can take the pressure off of a Connor mcdavid or a leon dry like they're just missing that like james neal he's been a good playoff player in the in the past but he's way past his prime now and Maybe he is the kind of guy who can get hot in a vacuum. But right now, they're missing that like it factor further down their lineup past Drysaddle and McDavid. Well, we've talk, heard Ray Ferraro talk about it all the time on Overdrive. They're getting a bunch of money off their books this year, and there's some serious work for Ken Holland to do. I believe they're going to free up something to the tune of 20 to 25 million bucks off their salary cap. So they'll have a little bit of flexibility to either bolster their decor, uh, sign a more... Um, a more permanent netminder. Mike Smith is obviously fairly long in the tooth, and although he's performed well, you know he's going to drop off the cliff at some point. Every goalie does. Father Time remains undefeated, but they need to get some help because if Dreisaitl well, and McDavid are cooking, then you're in big trouble if you're the yeah. Edmonton Oilers. They're going to have to replace Nugent Hopkins, though, because some of that money they're freeing up is, yeah, uh, and he's going to be kind of the crown jewel of the free agent class this year. Which uh, I don't know. I personally, I'd stay away from. I wouldn't give him that long-term big money contract i think he's again a good complimentary piece but 
Yeah, if you're Edmonton, you almost have to walk away because he's going to yes. be garnering something in the six point five seven million dollar range, likely on the open market. You think, and that's yeah, uh, that's a little that. bit rich looking at his ability to produce on his own. Because I don't think he's like a driver himself. Like you said, he's a complimentary guy. Like, look at this, man. Like, I'm and the Oilers are practicing right now. Ryan Rashog tweeting out that Ryan Nugent Hopkins is skating with Mike McLeod and Zach Cassian in the top six. Like, that's your second line behind Drysdale and McDavid. Yeah, like, don't get me situation. wrong, Mikey McLeod. <laughs> he's a he's a twelfth overall pick. Like, or no, sorry, this is a, this is not Mike McLeod. This is his brother Ryan. So a little later, still a first round pick, but still, man, like that. That's not good enough when you have the best player in the world. You Cassian really has no business being on the second line. Like, no, but he, don't get me wrong. He's still a player that I'd want on my team in the playoffs. But yeah, but you want him on your second quick. line. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, get this guy. And I actually, I really liked what I've seen from Yessi Pugliarvi. I think he's going to be the third piece on that top line with McDavid and Drysaddle. But this team has absolutely no depth. And <laughs> if if I'm K- Kenny Holland, like, why aren't you giving up every first rounder you have? Like. Sell the farm. You have the best player in the world for the next seven years. Go win a cup. Go win two cups. Don't tell me you're building a system and you got to get Evan Bouchard a game here or there and develop these guys properly. I'd just be, I'd be going for it every single year. And it's asinine that they're not. I think next year is probably the time for Holland to go all in. And I think likely the reason he didn't this year, I've mentioned this on a prior pod, is that I don't think that Ken Holland in his heart thought that that Oilers team was going to be able to beat Toronto if they ran into them in a seven-game series. And if you don't think that you're going to be able to get out of the second round, then you probably aren't going to go all in as a franchise. But I agree with you. You're just wasting the best player in the world. You're wasting prime years and where he's going to have an opportunity to compete for a cup. And he's not going to be putting up 130 points forever. You know, the season 100, well, I don't know what he was on pace for this year. Something preposterous, prorated. It was like 170 points or something if it was over an 82-game season. But, yeah, the Oilers are just wasting key years with McDavid and especially with Dreisaitl on his deal, the best deal in the league, dollar for dollar with his production. So they, they're going to have to go in all in at some point. I would anticipate that with the cap space they're freeing up, there will be some big changes in Edmonton moving into this offseason. Let's move to the bar. All right, Ross, I'll lead it off. Uh, I'm going to go with Chris Paul and Devin Booker, and for that matter, the rest of the Phoenix Suns roster. They're going to be having a cocktail looking at their first-round matchup, thinking, how did we get here? They fought for the second seed tooth and nail all year in the Western Conference, and their reward? The defending champions, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and the L.A. Lakers, who basically were terrible down the stretch, ultimately had to play Golden State in the play-in game, but make it in, beating them. They lock up the seven seed, and now for Phoenix, they get likely what's the most difficult matchup in the West, despite finishing in the second seed. The first round easy, the first round matchup is supposed to be easy, Ross. And for these guys, now they have to sit there staring down one the most dominant player of our generation, um, right down the barrel, so... They're going to be having a cocktail trying to game plan for that one. Well, and that most dominant player was at the bar, and unlike anyone else who violates COVID protocols and would have got suspended, (laughs) apparently rules don't apply to Mr. LeBron, who was uh, 
not only partying with Drake, but uh, posting photos of it, kind of bragging that he was, whereas all the other players and teams are all confining to these strict COVID protocols. So just another uh, example of LeBron being above the law and above the uh, the protocol that they're going with in the NBA. But again, just as though he takes so many rest days, and I know there were some real injuries in there as well this year, but that's the reason why they're the seventh seed. So yeah, that's tough, tough, tough if you're the Phoenix Suns. Who do you got at the bar? I got Roberto Luongo, and he's ordering a very large Riga black ball sam, which I'm reading is the most iconic <laughs> of Latvian boozes because he's in Riga right now. He's there for the world championships, and they just lost. Not only did they lose, they just got shut out by Latvia. And I know this isn't the best team Canada that's possible. A lot of the players decided against going. They've already been through the rigors of, again, speaking of COVID protocol season, and they were ready to just – end their year so it's a very young inexperienced group hell there's even a draft eligible on defense owen power made this team out of the university of michigan going to be a top five pick maybe first however when you're team canada you cannot lose in hockey to team latvia so that is a tough 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 start for uh world championships and roberto longo a first-time general manager for hockey canada he's going to be an agm for the uh olympic team in 2022 so Hey, he needs a big drink. He needs to regroup, and uh, they've got a big match. They're playing against the States today, so they need to bounce back in a hurry. What was that booze that you mentioned? It is a Riga Black Balsam. It's a potent herbal bitter that looks like used motor oil and packs a punch (laughs) at 45% alcohol. Bobby Lou is going to be having a couple of those. This is a difficult job for him because nobody was going to want to go across the sea to play in this tournament for Team Canada, especially after the year that they had uh, based off the NHL protocols and such. It's oftentimes difficult to convince NHL players after the rigors of an NHL season to go play in a regular year. And this year, it's like, well, do you want to come over here and sit in the protocol and stuff like that? Like, obviously, a lot of players were going to say no. A good opportunity for younger groups to wear the nation's colors, but obviously a very difficult uh, starts to the tournaments, losing to the host country, Latvia. But big shout-out for them, a proud hockey nation. And obviously, any time that you can get a win over an established power like the Canadians, it's huge for that federation. So happy for the Latvians, but Canada's going to need to figure it out in, uh, against the States, as you said, later today. I got a runner-up to honorable mention is Sergei Bobrovsky, and he lost his net there to Chris Drieger. Guess Darren who's Drieger, in the... as Jeff O'Neill likes to call him. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> beyond that, it looks like Spencer Knight was in the starters net at practice today, the 11th overall pick in the 2019 draft. That's pretty early to throw a rookie goalie who's only played four NHL games into a playoff do-or-die scenario. But if there's a guy who can do it, man, he just won the World Juniors this year. He's been in big situations before. I am going to be so locked into this game, especially if we get to see Spencer Knight because he seems like the next big goalie up and coming. But if I'm Sergey Bobrovsky, I'm at the bar because I got $10 million per year left on my contract for the next six years. Where is that going to be? Is he the guy long-term in Florida? It was a previous regime that signed him to that contract. And now this regime goes out and drafts a goalie. And now that third-string goalie or taxi squad guy might get a start here in a do-or-die game. So Joel Quenville not naming a starter yet, but it looks like it very well could be Spencer Knight. Hey, big shout out to Spencer Knight. He obviously looked very impressive in the junior tournament and also from Darien, Connecticut. So right around the corner from where I spent a large part of my formative years. 
Do you have Boston College numbers up right now? Because he was ridiculous at college. I I don't have his uh, college numbers up right now. All right. Could, I pulled I pulled it up. Him. I pulled it up right now. In the last so all three of his seasons. So in a seventy-four game sample size, he stopped ninety-three percent of the shots against him, a nine-thirty-two save percentage. Just absolutely Unreal. ridiculous. So I'd be stoked to see him get a chance here in the NHL. Yeah, I don't know what the hell is going on in Florida with uh, Bobrovsky. I, I, like, I don't know if he has a no-movement clause. I would anticipate that with his negotiation and them willing to fork over $10 bucks that he might. But they have an embarrassment of riches in the goaltending system, the Florida Panthers do. And if they can find a way to move that Bobrovsky deal, I don't know who you would try to lure with that. Maybe you can uh, sweeten the pot and get Ron Francis to maybe uh, sniff around on that if you can attach some picks. But 10.5 for the next six years. I feel like this is the last kind of contract like that's that we're going to see because you look at the way that they age, especially in net, like Carey Price, 10.5 million, although an established goaltender, that contract looks terrible. I believe he has, you know, five more years left on that one. And now Bobrovsky signs the deal. He's in the first year of his deal and he's getting chased out of the net by the likes of rookies who are up and coming. So uh, it's a difficult situation in Florida and they're going to need to figure out uh, who their guy is moving forward. Cause it certainly seems like they've got a lot of faith in the young guys and it wouldn't hurt them to try to free up $10.5 million on their cap it so they can bring in some more assistance uh, to help their big guys. Yeah, no question about that. So, yeah, we're going to be really locked into that for tomorrow's game. It's going to be a good one for sure. Ross, appreciate you joining me today. Happy May 2 for you. And uh, you're actually uh, my coworker over at the Radical Road. You're into the brewery later today, yeah? Yes, sir. Two o'clock and a bike on over there. It's a beautiful day here in Toronto. And, uh, yeah, excited to – Get on with the weekend here and then more playoff hockey on deck. So it's the best time of year, man. First round of the playoffs, especially the NHL's finally figured it out. It's great to see staggered starts. None of this three games start at seven o'clock because everyone's primarily watching one game. And then at intermission, you want to flip over, see what's going on. And when you go to the NHL game center, it's like intermission, 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 intermission. You're like, come on. So now at least I would prefer it to be one ongoing throughout the day, like a 1230, a three, a seven, a 10. That's the way to do it. So the NHL has it figured out now, and it just makes for some uh, great great couch days, especially if you're lucky <laughs> enough to have a little outdoor area. You pull the TV outside, and, and it's all good vibes from there on, Kenny. Yeah, we've been firing up the iPad on my back patio at the yeah. time. Got the thing spruced up as well, so you'll have to come back uh, come back over here for a little brewski, and uh, we'll watch some of the playoff hockey soon. Once uh, I think actually we are in the clear. We can have gatherings of five people outside now, so I'll uh, get you and uh, BMacker and have an open invitation. We'll get the get the band back together here. All right, I'll, br- nice I'll bring I'll bring the radical road. I'll bring the bees. Hell yeah! Thanks for bees. having me, Kenny. That was fun. Yeah, thanks for listening to episode 49 of Leafs Pod. Follow us on Twitter at Leafs Pod, at Ken Stapon, at Ross Levitan, at HockeyPodNet. And we'll catch you next time.